Our reading tonight is taken from the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 1 through to 12. You have our Bible there, turn to the place appointed for the reading, Galatians 1, verses 1 through to 12. The words will also come up on the screen for all who are on the internet, but we do encourage you, if you have your Bible handy, also turn to it and not only see the words, but you can hear them as well. We've been using these verses in the first chapter of Galatians as a springboard to expose certain false gospels. And we've already put three messages out there on our church website and YouTube channel. And I pray that you'll avail yourself of that and Share them with others, and let's do our best to learn. And may the Lord be our teacher and helper. Let's hear the word of God. Galatians chapter 1, and we're reading from verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ, and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me, unto the churches of Galata. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel which is not another. But though there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. For I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now, my text tonight is found in Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. And I want us to think this evening of discovering truth about the death of Christ. Now, Paul's epistle to the Galatians is known as an emergency epistle. In other words, it was written in haste. And if you look very carefully at your authorized version and just read through verses 1 through to 5, you will discover there's no full stops. The first full stop is at the last word in verse 5, which is amen. There's commas, there's colons, and there's semicolons. And if you want to know what they're for, then I urge you to do a wee bit of digging into English grammar. Or maybe ask one of the teachers that are here. They'll give you the answer. Uh, I'm not fully sure, but I'm only going with what's in the book. It's as if Paul had hardly took time to take breath. 
He's been writing so fast. You see, sadly, the churches, note the plurality, not church, but the churches in the whole province of Galatia were being affected and impacted by certain false teachers. Certain men had come into the church and they were adding to the gospel. And they were saying, it's great you've got Jesus. Lord and Savior, wonderful. But you know what? He's not really enough. You need something more. Simple faith in Jesus Christ is not sufficient. We need to add something. What are they going to add? A strict observance of the law. Certain Jewish rituals and ceremonies. And they were saying, this is essential to salvation. Especially circumcision. And the Apostle Paul, when he hears this, he's stunned. He's surprised to learn that the people of God in Galatia, the born-again believers, were taken in with such a message. Look at verse 6. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And the word another there means something different from what we have preached And then he says in verse 7, which is not another. It's not the same as we have preached. It's a legalistic gospel. And I'm going to expose it in a thumbnail next week. That's what it was. That's why it is different from and contrary to the true gospel preached by the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul was quickly aware and Uh, could understand how quickly and easily this false gospel message could spread in Galatia. He knows it's like a poison affecting the whole body of Christ. He knows that the devil's at the back of it. He knows the devil's using ungodly men like, like pawns in his game of subtlety. He knows that it's a mixture of truth and error. You think of it, you need Jesus as Lord and Savior, but you need a little bit more, something added, something else. And and, and Paul knows that discernment is needed if they're going to understand the true gospel. The gospel of the uh, free grace of God must be defended. And you know, of course, it's not only in the first century that the gospel needs to be defended, but also in the 21st century. There's a spiritual battle going on for the heart and soul of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you know that tonight that the gospel never has been And never will be acceptable to fallen, sinful men. And because of those unrelentless attacks, it becomes necessary to constantly defend the gospel. The gospel's hated by men. It always will be, always has been. It has constantly been attacked by the minions of hell. And it's possible, of course, to give loads of illustrations in the past, present-day illustrations to that effect. Tonight, even in Westminster Parliament, in the Scottish and Welsh and Stormont Assemblies, we hear the cries of certain people who have raised their voices against the gospel and against Christ. And the gospel is under attack. It's under attack from false preachers, from liberal theologians. It's under attack from unbelievers who are masquerading tonight as preachers of the gospel in the pulpits of the land. And because of these attacks on the gospel, the Holy Spirit, when Paul heard what was happening in the churches of Galatia, put it in the heart of Paul, in his heart and mind, to write what is really a stirring defense of the gospel. Listen to me carefully. This is what someone has said. 
the great fundamentals of the gospel have been hammered out in the anvils of controversy. Without this false teaching coming into the churches at Galatia, there would have been no letter to the churches in Galatia. That's what it means. The great fundamentals of the gospel have been hammered out on the anvil of controversy. And of course, the book of Galatians sets forth the very heart of the gospel message. At its heart is the great doctrine of justification by faith alone, a full, free, and forever justification. And that's at the very heart of the gospel. And Paul is setting forth in this letter what the gospel is. And in so doing, he has to include and sets forth why the Lord Jesus Christ died on the tree. See, people tell us today that it's unloving and unkind and it's nasty and harsh to defend the gospel. It's not. Paul says, I'm set for the defense of the gospel. Out of love for Christ, Paul was set for the defense of the gospel. He knew what the gospel was. He knew what the gospel was not. And out of love for Christ, Paul set forth his defense of the gospel. And what was happening in Galatia grieved him to the core. And out of love for Christ and the souls of men, Paul sought to present the gospel and expose this false legalistic message that the Judaizers were preaching in Galatia. And as he did so, as he set forth the heart of the gospel story, he introduced the death of Christ. See, salvation is not by the law. Salvation is of the Lord. And we want to ask the question tonight, why did Christ die? Why did he come into the world in the first place? What was his goal, his mission, his purpose? You see, it's summed up in these words. Look at these words. Galatians chapter 1, verses 3, 4, and 5. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, as you think about the death of Christ, here's the truth I want you to discover. So we're thinking tonight on this text, discovering the truth of the death of Christ. The first thing I want to teach you is this, the spring of the death of Christ. Remember I said this is all one sentence. Look at verse 3, grace be to you. And we'll pause there. Here's the spring of the death of Christ. The death of Christ is connected to and attributed to the free grace of God. Notice it's grace first. Grace be to you. It's not peace. In any salutation of Paul, it was never peace first. It was always grace. Peace always follows on from grace because grace is always first. Because God deals with men on the basis of grace. And the spring of the death of Christ is connected to the grace of God in eternity past and eternity present. Someone has said grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, and that's good. But there's more to it. Grace is the undeserved, unmerited favor to criminals and lawbreakers. Somebody else has coined this little phrase, which I thought was interesting. Grace, everything for nothing. Everything for nothing. You see, the gospel is called the gospel of the grace of God. 
And in this chapter, three times the word grace is mentioned. Verse 3, grace be to you. Verse 6, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. And then in verse 15, he adds the words, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. You see, there's a number three is the number of witness in the Bible. And without a work of grace in the soul, nobody can be saved. And here's the freeness of grace. All that God does, he does freely on the basis of grace. God's not coerced, young people. God's not pressed in to act and do something. God works freely by his grace. Grace is marked by the freedom of the will of God. Only God is true freedom of grace to act according to his will. We could talk tonight about the fullness of grace. And you see, all that every sinner needs, God freely provides in the gospel message. Everything that is essential for salvation is bound up in the gospel. It comes to us in the gospel of the grace of God. You should think tonight of the matchless grace. We sometimes sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Grace to deal with and cover every one of our sins. Grace that brings us to the knowledge of God. Grace that brings us into the state of peace with God and to know the peace of God. There's the spring of the death of Christ. So when you think of the death of Christ in Good Friday, you think of God acting freely in grace to give us his son. I want you to think also of the source of the death of Christ. If you look at our text, it says in verse 4, according to the will of God and our Father. You see, here's the real reason and the root cause, young people, Of the death of Christ in the cross. It just didn't happen by accident. It wasn't something willy-nilly. It wasn't just something that just happened out of the blue at a certain point in history. No. It was according to the will of God and our Father. See, the death of Jesus Christ was not a mistake. Do you know that there's preachers tell the congregation that they preach to every week that very thing? But the death of Christ was not a mistake. It was certainly not a miscarriage of human justice. It was certainly not a mistake or a failure. No, it was all part of the will and mind of God and that from all eternity. See, see, let's remember everything's according to the will of God and our Father. Did you and I deserve to be saved? You and I didn't deserve to be saved. If we got our just deserts from the hand of God... God could have justly put each of us in the lowest hell. No man deserves or owns anything from God. And if God had treated us according to our sins deserved, he could have justly put us in hell because you and I deserve the lowest hell. We have no love for the Lord. There's no spark of goodness in us. If you think of the order here, grace and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, Look at verse 4, it mentions, and our Father. You have to think of 
eternity. You've got to think of the great covenant of redemption. You've got to think of an inter-Trinitarian relationship between Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And isn't the Holy Spirit guiding Paul, superintending the writing of these words? So, so here he is. And what does he mention? He mentions the Father. Because the Father always speaks of tenderness, always speaks of love, always speaks of grace, always speaks of mercy. And in spite of our sinful estate, in spite of the fact that we're dead and sin, dark and, and sin, diseased by sin, totally bankrupt. Listen to what Paul says in the book of Romans, in Romans 3 and verse 10. As it is written, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. Four Roman nuns. I remember down in Newcastle when I was preaching there on one occasion with the faith mission, there was a, a company of nuns came past one day and I must confess I couldn't resist myself and I, I started uh, mentioning this uh, portion of scripture and I, I said, let me talk about the Roman nuns here and listen to what the Bible says and I quoted those references and I remember that day. Here's the will of God being revealed to us. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. There are together becoming profitable. There's none that doeth good, no, not one. And listen to verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. There's not one shred of goodness in us. Like Job, we have to confess, behold, I am vile. And God hasn't saved us because there's any good in us. The truth is we're devoid of any goodness Godward. We, we have no ability nor power to render any goodness spiritually toward the Lord. And the good news of the gospel is this. That at its source, it is bound up in the will of God. That's what I'm going to call the fundamental framework through which God works. God works alone according to his will. And the death of Christ and the cross was according to the will of God and our Father. And it was set from all eternity. Doesn't Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 talk about the lamb slain from before the foundation of the world? How is that possible? In the heart and mind of God it was already foreordained and planned. So there's the source. That's another truth that we should discover. I want you to think, thirdly, the sacrifice of the death of Christ. If you look at verse 4, it says, who gave himself for our sins. See, Good Friday's coming. We'll be thinking about it. We're thinking about the death of Christ and the cross. And as we think of the death of Christ and the cross, what will you be thinking of? As you think, not only of the spring, the grace of God, and the source according to God's will, but you think of the sacrifice of the death of Christ. Christ physically on the cross. What sort of sacrifice was it? Well, it was a voluntary sacrifice. It was a sacrifice above any other sacrifice that you could think of. It stands head and shoulders above every other sacrifice. It's a wonderful, unique, matchless sacrifice. Think of these words. Who gave himself. Underline the relative pronoun. Himself. He didn't give an angel. He didn't send a cherub, a seraphim, 
He didn't even send the archangel, Michael or Gabriel. You've got to think of his person here. Who is he? Well, we've got his name. It's already introduced to us. We've been told it in verse 3. Our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not strange that he should mention that in verse 3, our Lord Jesus Christ. There's his full title. Lord refers to deity. Jesus refers to his humanity. Christ is his ministry. Turn over there to the last chapter of Galatians. Look at chapter 6. And with me at verse 18. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Do you see that there? As you think of his person, here's the name that's introduced. The Lord Jesus Christ. The one who's Alpha and Omega. From the very beginning to the end. You've got this comprehensive title. And as I've said, you've got to focus on his deity, his humanity, and, and his ministry. All that he had, all that he is, was involved in that voluntary sacrifice. His incarnation, God was manifest in the flesh. His virgin birth in the fullness of time. His sinless life, he kept the law of God perfectly, as we'll see in a moment. His atoning death. So from his incarnation, his birth, his life, his death, all that he had, he gave himself to this one end and this one goal. His heart and soul was in it. His time, his touch, his life of intercession, his weeping in Gethsemane, when he, he, he prayed openly and, and prayed profusely and, and so passionately that his sweat was mingled with drops of blood, when he prayed, he didn't offer crocodile tears. They were hot, burning tears. In other words, his heart was in it. He held nothing back. He was open. He was honest. He was genuine. He was sincere. He voluntarily gave himself. Right up to the time he gave himself on the tree. Freely, cheerfully, voluntarily. In all that he suffered. It's a voluntary sacrifice. Let me tell you something else. It's a vicarious sacrifice. Notice the wording here, who gave himself for our sins. Isn't that interesting? Our sins. You've got to think of the substitute. Taking our place. But he wasn't just a substitute. He just didn't die in our stead. He became our sacrifice. Who gave himself for our sins. Do you know that on the cross, the Lord Jesus bore the condemnation of the broken law? If you look at... John chapter 3, for a moment, it says in verse 18, these words, And he that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Every unbeliever tonight stands condemned already. They're guilty of the sin of unbelief. And of course, doesn't the Bible talk about unbelief in relation to the book of Revelation? The great white throne judgment, Revelation 21 and verse 8, it says, But the fearful and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part of the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Notice the first two that's mentioned, the fearful, the man or woman, boy or girl, who knows as well as the heads in their body they need to repent and receive Christ and be saved. But they don't, because the fear of man brings a snare. And unbelievers, how, how, how the root sin of unbelief is there in their heart and mind. And here's the Lord Jesus on the cross, and he came under the rod of that condemnation. 
He was treated as if he had transgressed himself and broken the law. He stood in the place of condemnation. He stood in the place of the lowest criminal. Over there in uh, Mark chapter 14 and in the verse uh, 64, we come across these words. I think it was interesting that this testimony came from the lips of ungodly men. This is what they said about Christ. Mark 14, verse 64. Ye have heard the blasphemy. What think ye? And they all condemned him to be guilty of death. Jesus Christ died as a condemned man. They condemned him to be guilty of death. And he was condemned for something that he didn't do. He died for something that we did. Our sins. He took our sins and our sorrows. He made them his very own. Bore the burden to Calvary. Suffered and died alone. He bore the condemnation of the broken law. Can I tell you something else? He bore the curse of the broken law. What is sin? Sin's the transgression of the law. Because of transgression and sin, all men are under the curse of a holy God. Listen to the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them. And all the people shall say, Amen. And over there in the book of Galatians, in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, we read, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, be made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is every one that hangeth on a tree. You see, transgression, sin and iniquity, places the transgressor under a curse. The curse of the broken law. And the Lord Jesus not only uh, bore the condemnation of the broken law, but he stood in the place of the curse. And he took that curse fully upon himself. And yes, he kept the law of God perfectly in this life. He fulfilled its precepts. He, he, he fulfilled its penalty when he died. We were singing there, free from the law. Oh, happy condition. Jesus has bled. And there is remission, cursed by the law, bruised by the fall. Grace hath redeemed us once for all. He bore the completeness of the broken law. Notice it says, he gave himself for our sins. Sins are in the plural. All our sins, not, not just some, but all. Every past sin, every present sin, sins of the deepest dye, sins even in the future. Is it not written, First John 1 and 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanseth us from all sin. Isn't it wonderful that he's cleansed us today? He cleansed us yesterday. Glory to God, he'll cleanse us tomorrow and he'll keep on cleansing. What a sacrifice. What a savior. Think of all that he did tonight in behalf of sinners. A substitute who took our place. A substitute that was unique, that was once for all. And, and, and in that offering of himself, it was a vicarious sacrifice. And he bore the condemnation of the broken law, the curse of the broken law, and the completeness of the broken law. The broken law demanded death. And Christ died a death unto the shedding of his blood. See, the world tonight has no knowledge or thought or idea of what sin is. They deny that sin's the transgression of the law. They oppose the concept of sin. They even try using the law through Parliament to um, deny what sin is. But the book tells us 
Hebrews 10 and 12, but this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. Let me tell you something else. It's a victorious sacrifice. If you think it up, link it up with chapter 1, verse 1, who raised him from the dead. See, we'll be thinking on Easter Sunday about the great doctrine of the resurrection. He is alive. There, there, there's victory in Jesus. There's power to be an overcomer. And it's all found in him. And you know, with the Lord Jesus held nothing back. Gave us all, not thinking of himself. Allowing the mob to spit in his face. And to scourge his back and, and spike him to the tree. And remember there, he could have called 12 legions of angels to deliver him. But he didn't. Why? Because he had his eye in a victorious prize. And the prize was your salvation and mine that he was accomplishing. It was a victorious sacrifice. Let me say in closing, not only think about the spring of the death of Christ, the grace of God and the source according to the will of God and the sacrifice who gave himself for our sins, but think about the salvation of the death of Christ. Notice the words in the text as we finish that he might deliver us from this present evil world. You've got to think of Christ delivering power. There's only one who can deliver us. Only one who was good enough. And what does the word deliver us mean? Does it not presuppose that we're in danger? Unable to deliver or rescue ourselves? Young people, he came on a rescue mission. He came as a deliverer. To deliver us, here's one of the reasons he was born. To deliver us from this present evil world. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. He said, I'm come that you might have life and you might have it more abundantly. And what a rescue mission Jesus Christ is involved in. Not only think of Christ delivering power, but think of a dreadful place. What does it mention? This present evil world. Do we not all live in an ungodly environment? Is this world not pagan to its core? Is this world not changing, not for the better, but for the worse, slowly? Think of 20 years ago. Think of 30 years ago. Some of you are going to look back to the past. And, and there's unimaginable things been happening now and talked about quite openly uh, on the radio and on television. And, and, and people can sin to the point where they forget even to blush. This world's a wicked world. This world is a world of wantonness, a world of woe, a world under the wrath of God. Think of the pressure creases of this age and, and those who wallow in the filth and mire of this age. And yet the child of God, he's been delivered from this ungodly environment through the power of God. Isn't that what the drunkard needs tonight? It's not what the drug addict needs. It's not what the gambler needs. Ruled and ruined by their addiction. And who can deliver them out of this dreadful place, this, this, this ungodly environment? Well, well, Christ, he's the only deliverer. Think of a divine plan here. According to the will of God and our Father. Isn't it wonderful tonight that Jesus Christ is not just a teacher, not just a leader, not just a great example Jesus Christ is primarily a saviour. What was his purpose? Here's the divine plan. According to the heart and mind of God, 
We were chosen in Christ from before the foundation of the world. I said on Friday night to the young people, I love that little chorus, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. And I remember being in a meeting in Coleraine, and that was being emphasized, and I was quite happy and pleased. I've decided to follow Christ, to become a Christian. I was almost ready to pat myself in the back whenever the, the, the man then did the flip side to that talking about human responsibility and the renewed will being inclined to Christ and asking where the desire come. And then he turned to the other side of the arts and said, here you are, chosen in Christ, Ephesians 1 and 4, from before the foundation of the world. See, remember God's working all things according to the counsel of his will. Not according to the will of man, not according to the will of the church, but according to his own will. There's a divine plan. And that divine plan is that we should not live according to the lifestyle of the world. We should not uh, use the language of the world. We, we should not conform to the image that his has for us. Why? We should live according to the will of God because there's a master plan at work in delivering us. We could finish with this thought. Think of distinct praise here. It says in verse 5, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The glory of God. Is that not man's chief end? The glory of God. Does it not say in the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, it makes this amazing statement. Listen to these words as we finish. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. We're created anew in Christ Jesus to the glory of God. Time we forget to give him the glory. Time we forget to give him praise. But this is a distinct glory. This is a deserved glory. It only belongs to him. To him be glory forever and ever. This is a declared glory. Paul's declaring it. And it's a directed glory. It's directed to the Lord alone. Oh, tonight as we think about the death of Christ, as we come to Good Friday, as we think about Jesus on the cross, think of these words who gave himself for our sins. Why? To deliver us from this present evil world. And what was the cause? What was the spring? The source of that? It's according to the will of God our Father. I want you to think of this salvation tonight. Have you experienced this delivering power? To whom the Son sets free, he is free. Has the Son set you free? Because you've bowed the knee before him. You've owned your sinnership. You've thanked him. Said, Lord, thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. Lord, I live in an ungodly world. But, but Lord, I, I don't want to be off the world even though I have to live in it. I want to live different and distinct. You have a divine plan and purpose for my life, Lord. I want to live according to your will and what pleases you. That I might fulfill the very purpose that you made me. And glorify your name. And enjoy you forever. There's some truths that we need to discover about the death of Christ. I trust that you'll discover them tonight and the Lord will help and give understanding.